Welcome to the e-commerce podcast with Matt Edmondson, a show that brings you regular interviews, tips and tools for building your business online. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the e-commerce podcast with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. It's great that you're here, great that you can be with us, whether you're listening via the audio version or whether you're watching on the video, uh, you know, uh, via Facebook or YouTube, if you're joining us live or if you're uh, watching Catch Up, wherever you are, wherever you are watching the show, it's great that you're here. Uh, Great to have you, whether you are just starting out or if like me, you've been around, some have called me a dinosaur. Let's just get an e-commerce dinosaur. I have been around a little while, uh, but wherever you are on your journey, our goal is simple. It's to help you grow your e-commerce and digital businesses. That's why we're here. That's what we want to do. And to do that, I get to talk to amazing people from the world of e-commerce. And I get to ask them all kinds of fantastic questions, you know, about what they know and how it's going to help us uh, develop online. I try and have the conversation that you would have if you got to sit down with them, have a cup of coffee and pick their brains with your notebook. That's kind of the the nutshell of what we're trying to do. Uh, So yeah, grab your notebooks in essence, because we're going to get into it. Uh, Before we do though, I must say, uh, if you are regular to the show and you haven't done so yet, please like and subscribe uh, if you do the video, the Facebook thing, or if you do the audio thing, give us a review, share it out. It'd be great if you did we would certainly appreciate it. Now, on this week's podcast, which is why we're here, let's get into it. We are going to look at the principles of content strategy and why it is so, so important for your e-commerce business. Content strategy is a critical part, a critical part of any successful business. It might not seem like a big deal at first, but when you're trying to grow, And when you're trying to grow your business and make more money, content management can be one of the most challenging tasks on your list, especially if you don't have a plan or a system in place. So that's what we're going to get into this week. And we've got a great guest this week to share the expertise in this whole area. Katie White uh, is, is with us and she is going to talk all about the importance of having, and I love this, a kick-ass content strategy and why it's so crucial in e-commerce. Katie is in Vermont. Uh, She started KW Content in 2017, which is a global content and social media marketing agency that develops and launches social app develops and launches content and social media programs for purpose-driven brands. And if that's not enough, Katie also now runs Strong Brand Social, and we're going to dig into all of that and what that is. So without further ado, shall we bring uh, the beautiful Katie onto the screen? Here we go, Katie. Hey, good good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm so good. So happy to be here, Matt. Oh, awesome. You're happy and I'm happy. That, That makes for a winning formula, I think. Here we go. Buckle up. <laughs> Buckle up. What's that movie? Uh, Buckle up, Dorothy. Or yeah. Anyway, let's not go there. So you're in uh, Vermont, right? You're uh, on the other side of the Atlantic. Uh, yep. And are you a, a local girl for the, from there? Uh yes, local enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna claim it. <laughs> claim it as my own. <laughs> not managed to escape yet. Yeah, I love it here. I grew up in New Jersey, which is just a little bit south of here, but I've been here for, you know, 15 years now, the Green Mountain State, just 
just south of Canada. Sometimes people mistake us for Canadians, but we're not not so lucky. <laughs> I like that we're not so lucky. That's brilliant. Well, it's great that you're here, and um, we're going to get into this whole content strategy thing. How did you? I mean, I, I like to ask the guests. Let's start off at the beginning. You know, how did you? How did you start your journey in content strategy and content marketing? What kind of led you to where you are now? Sure. Yeah. So, um, well, I started my career at Burton Snowboards, which I always say means nothing to people if they're not winter people. But if you are a skier or snowboarder, you're probably familiar with Burton. It's the world's biggest snowboarding company. Um, And so I started there on the ground floor, got to work with um, the late Jake Burton Carpenter, and he was the CEO at the time, founder. Then I just kind of wiggled my way into marketing. But when I first got there, I was just a copywriter. Um, And my first stint in social media marketing really came because our social media manager left and I was the youngest person in the department. And they were like, Katie will do it. (laughs) So this was 11 years ago. Um, So that was your qualification. You were the youngest person in the department. (laughs) I think so. I mean, it wasn't official or on the record, but looking back, I feel like that's what happened. Um, And so, yeah, so it was really more or less assigned to me, um, but it was great. It's, you know, for someone who loves writing and loves communication and loves community, Mm -hmm. um, it was a really, really great place to end up. So the rest is kind of history. I started with one brand at Burton. By the time I left, I was managing three of their brands. They have kind of a Burton, which is their lifestyle brand, Burton Snowboards, and on Optics, which is their goggle brand um, and helmets and, you know, accessories. Um, So managing all of those across Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at the time, we had some Pinterest accounts um, and a couple of blogs. And so that was a really great crash course in all things and in social media. It kind of sounds a bit full on uh, if you're doing that across multiple brands and multiple channels, right? Yeah, it was it was a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do yeah. like that. You you I liked your 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 quote there that you wiggled your way into the I wiggled my way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite impressive. Uh, and I love the fact that your qualification was you're probably the youngest in the room. And to be honest with you, you know what? I've been I've been doing coaching for a number of years now and the the amount of times I've gone into a business and they're like we need someone to do social um, and let's say they're 40 or over, right? Because yeah. that's probably a good age bracket. Um, and I put myself in that age bracket to the 40 or over and they kind of go, we just need someone young who understands that whole thing. And that in their head means, you know, if you're young, you get social media. If you're old, you don't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's a fascinating uh, process mean- that people go through. And it's been humbling for me because now 12 years later, 11 years later, I'm not sure exactly. I am now, you know, the most senior member on my current team hiring women who have been, you know, who are in there. I think we have a a 22 year old on our team, a 23 year old on our team. And so I, you know, the, the amount, the extent to which I need to lean on them um, to keep me up to speed is, is pretty humbling. So, um, you know, it's not a given, it's not all about age, but there is definitely something to be said for just the, the connectedness and the amount of intuition that comes with sort of, you know, the latest ways of communicating and how younger generations pick it up and just get it and are speaking the language. They do. And for me, the thing which has always astounded me when I think about say my own kids, I have a child, my eldest has just gone to university is his second year at university. He has not known a life 
without really Facebook being around. Whereas um, I was clearing out my attic at my mum's house the other day with my with my eldest son, and he found a bag, like this bag, big, massive bag full of letters yeah. uh, that were addressed to me from people kind of over the years. And I'm like, well, that's what I did. I, I can tell you how to write a letter. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like... It was fascinating. They were they, like, I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was brilliant. And they just sat there reading these letters going, this is just, this is just very, very unusual. You know, it's more than 140 characters or whatever it is. And so, yeah, I think it's fascinating, isn't it? The age difference is, is all for me, is all about what they've grown up with and, and what, what yeah. people have got used to. I don't know if you found that. Yeah. I mean, a hundred, a hundred percent, you know, for me, it's like, as we're, as we're, growing and extending into areas like TikTok, you know, I'm, I'm all set on Instagram and I understand what we need to do on TikTok. And when it comes to actually using the platform and the intuition around it all, it's, it is, it's just, you know, what, and, and now the rate at which, you know, what we grow up with changes, just accelerating. Um, but it's all good. It's super interesting. And I think, you know, something you just said about more than uh, 140 characters, what's so interesting is as a copywriter, I always think about, um, you know, that that phrase or that saying, like, if I had time, I would have made it shorter if I had more time. Like, it's actually mm-hmm. so much more challenging to communicate in a yeah, meaningful way, the shorter that we come. So I think, you know, it, it gets, it's interesting to watch certain people have a reaction. I mean, social media is a mixed bag. It's a very complicated topic for so many different reasons. Um but in particular, thinking about just how one of the things that's so interesting about it is that great social media looks really simple. It looks like something that you yeah. just took five seconds to create and publish. Um, but actually, what goes into communicating a complicated thought or topic or subject in that succinct of a manner is a pretty, you know, incredible skill. Um, so. Yeah, I like that. Great social media looks really simple. I've read if you're not if you're following along, you're not writing notes. There's something wrong with you. I'm, I've got my pages going already, so I'm, I'm good. I've written that down. Great social media uh, looks really simple. And so this you, I know that you started KW content in 2017 and I know that you work with the snowboard company, which I'm extremely jealous of. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Right. I mean, that just sounds like. The, the most brilliant job. But what do you want to do? I want to go work for a snowboard company. All right, let's do that. Um, so let's let's hone it in. Let's crack on with this topic of social media. What is uh, social media content uh, that we're talking about, content marketing? So what is um, your definition of content marketing and why is it important for an e-commerce business? Let's start with that. Yeah, I mean, I think the topic of content marketing is is really vast. And I do think it's, yeah, it's worth taking a minute to clarify really my area of expertise. So content marketing traditionally is more long-form content and how our website is ranking and SEO um, within search engines. But, um, you know, for us inside of our agency and what we're really focused on is the content strategy within the realm of social media and how we're bringing people into our brands and nurturing them there. There's absolutely an overlap and an intersection between what your content strategy for social media should look like and what your content strategy for your website and SEO and all of that should look like. So, I mean, when we think about it, it's, it's the lifeblood. It's everything from your brand awareness, your brand growth, your brand equity, the intangibles around it, um, to, you know, customer acquisition, 
um, you know, that's really where the intersection between certain types of content on social media and our SEO strategy lives. And then, you know, the thing that I don't hear enough people talking about that we're really focused on is community building and loyalty. Social media, organic social media is an incredible place to nurture our relationships, to build community with our customers and ensure that, you know, we're not thinking about customers in a one-time fashion. We are thinking about lifelong relationships with them and inviting them to help shape, you know, the trajectory of our brand and our product development. So I, let me just clarify that because that sounds like a really important point you've just made, so I don't want to miss it. Um Organic social media is a great tool for building lifelong relationships or community uh, yeah. with our customers. And we that that seems to be something that we need to hold in our heads as we're thinking about content strategies for our social media, certainly our organic social media. Um, what do you mean by um, well, let's 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 simplify it a lot. What do you mean by organic social media? Yeah, so organic. So all all brands have three types of content. We have owned, earned, and paid. And within owned, right, we have our organic content that we're publishing on our website. Organic content on social media is just anything that we're publishing before we put dollars behind it. So, um, you know, we do a lot of work. You, you sort of, a lot of people think of social media in two silos. It's like our social advertising funnels and, and that those like paid campaigns that are always on. And then are organic, which is just what we're publishing on a day-to-day -day or a weekly basis. I like to think about kind of bringing those two things together and integrating them a little bit more. But so for us, organic is really just what's happening on our feeds um, and, and, you know, the response we're getting to just the content that we publish to nurture our community versus, you know, sell through. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so when we talk then about community, let's do, let's, can we do a deep dive here a little minute? Because I'm, I'm really curious about, about what you said. When we're talking then about community, uh, we're talking about people who are interested uh, in at the, at the brand we represent, right? So we're talking about our customers. We're talking about potential customers, right, that, that yeah. come along and, and maybe want to check yeah. us out on social media before we buy anything. So why is it important then that we use organic search to nurture relationships with these guys? So, I mean, the most important reason that I can think of is profitability, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> that'll work. That'll preach. Most, yeah, yeah. A practical reason, um, you know, customers, when they buy from us a second time, most of the time spend more money with us. Yeah. We had a cosmetic client, a national cosmetic client um, that we came in for, and they had, they are already had a digital advertising agency running most of their customer acquisition efforts. And um, within 90 days, or maybe it was 30 days of us coming in and starting to take over their feed and apply, you know, we had done a content strategy process, which we can talk about for sure about how we, we really think about the customer journey as we develop our content strategy for even for our organic social, which is something that people don't really think about. Um, but so, you know, within 30 days, their their cart their average cart value was somewhere between thirty and fifty dollars, right? It's pretty low. And within the first thirty days, we saw that um, their average order value went up thirty percent. Oh wow! And that was because we were getting the right content in front of the right people, um, you know, and driving them back towards the site instead of only focusing on new customer acquisition, right? And so that was a really significant impact and something that they knew. Okay, this is this is working. We're going to keep doing this. So. 
profitability is, is the most important reason. And then otherwise, I mean, again, those, those, in those levers or those, um, sorry, things like brand equity, like how, how we, especially in a crowded market, stand out from our competition, unless you have a product that is absolutely in a league of its own and has the brand recognition of being so, it is your community. It is your like community entities. It is the social proof. If I'm new and I'm thinking about buying from you and I come to your digital spaces and there's crickets or there's only comments from spammy looking bots, right? That's not building my trust. If I come and it is like a freaking party and everybody's invited and there's a ton of action and it feels really good, that is going to push me over the edge to buy from you so much more quickly. Um, so that brand equity piece, building trust, social proof, setting ourselves apart from a competition with these intangible sort of more personality driven aspects of our brand is something that is pretty invaluable and can amount to a lot over time. Yeah. I mean, and to be, and to be fair, that all sounds fantastic. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm listening to you talk and I'm thinking increased profitability, obviously, and you, you talk about increasing results by 30%. Is that typical? Um, you find, or is that like unusual? Do you know what I mean? You hear a lot of people quoting different stats all over the place and you kind of, um, I, I guess I'm just, if I'm, if I own an e-commerce site and let's just, you know, let's call it what it is. My organic social media is just rubbish. I'm kind of thinking, well, if I get this sorted out, yeah, is it typical to expect maybe a 30% increase in cart value or, uh, in average order value? Or is it, is that kind of the top end? But you, you do you know what I mean? I, I, I guess I'm just asking that question. I would call that stat, I just gave you that case study, somewhat of a median uh, mm -hmm. case study that we have. I mean, it's certainly not what I would, would not say is that just activating on organic social media is going to mean that you achieve results like that. But if you do it well and you do it right, um, you know, we, I mean, I have never in 11 years and in the last four years of owning my business, I haven't had a single client that we, you know, we apply the exact same process every time we work with a client and we've never, ever, ever had a scenario where numbers, either traffic to website, overall sales or average order value aren't completely on the rise. So it's absolutely, um, you know, uh, something that we can expect if we invest properly. Wow. I'm sold, Katie. Where do I sign up? Yeah, no, no. I, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, so what's that? Pro I mean, you talk about the process. What is then that process? You know, if you don't mind sharing it with us, you know, what's your yeah. what's the mechanism? I, I guess I'm just I'm thinking about the guy sitting there going, I'm, I'm sold. I'm in. I'm, I, I could do with that. How do, how do I go about doing this? Yeah. So there's I always say there's three phases to, you know, building and launching uh, content and social media marketing program that's high performance like that. And the first is really strategic, but it leans towards the creative side. So it is developing the, you know, how, what are we, who are we talking to? What are we saying? And what does it look like, feel like, and sound like? Um, and that is something where you're wanting to get to know your customer beyond the like household demographics that we typically look at and really understanding how they use 
social media and how they consume content so that we can create a, a communication framework that meets them where they are, right? And this, and so a lot of the magic happens in there and we should come back to that part. We should talk about how we construct that Oh, we framework. will, because yeah, yeah, I've got okay. questions down well, already. <laughs> <laughs> so the second phase, though, just to kind of jump ahead, the second phase is tactical. This is where you're saying, how do we get the right message in the right place at the right time? So what platform should we be on? How frequently should we post? Are we doing reels? Do we have a little bit of a budget to kind of, you know, bypass the stupid algorithm and make sure that our message gets out there and that kind of stuff? So but what I see in our field is that that's where everybody starts. And that's why so many things fall flat because okay. just posting every single day is not the answer. The answer is wrapping tactics around a commu communication strategy that's really going to resonate with your people. Yeah. And then the third phase is obviously just pushing it to market and, and letting your community give you feedback and tweaking and optimizing and in, in forever and perpetuity. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, that first phase always, we always find that um, you know, as much as it is a well-researched and educated hypothesis, it usually is a really strong start um, because of the, you know, how much information we have available to us on these platforms about our customers and how they consume content. So we can really, we can really learn a lot before we push a program to market. And can you, I can you learn a lot if you, um, I guess if I've got say 10,000 followers on Instagram, I can learn a lot about those 10,000 followers. But if I'm yeah. just starting out and I've got 10 followers on Instagram, right. can I still learn that same information or is that, am I stimmed a little bit? Yeah, so there's definitely a difference there for sure. That's a hurdle. We, uh, one of the things that is different about what we do and what we teach is that if, if that is the case, then I'm gonna recommend that you instead of posting every single day to 10 followers, I'm, and you know, hit or miss with hashtags. And I, I do want to caveat this by saying that strategies can look a little bit different depending on your industry. So mm -hmm. for example, we have most of the market right now is saying reels or bust, right? We want, yeah. we, as long as you can grow organically viral, if you're on reels, that's not true for every for every industry. It's just not, it could be really true for food and beverage or for coaches. Right. But there are other products that that's just not true. So what I'm about to say is for the folks who are not having going viral with reels right now. Um, so what we recommend is allocate, even if it's $20 to an organic post to promote it, it's kind of like a little micro engagement campaign. And that has a ton of benefits. One of them is that we're bypassing the algorithm. We're bypassing just the followers we have to send it to a targeted audience to get our message in front of them, to understand and get enough of a sample size, enough impressions on that to understand if it's landing or not. And if I'm we put, you. you know, if we post 10 times in a month and put $20 behind each, right? With $200, we can have a ton of information about the content that we post. Not only that, one of the things you said in your intro or earlier on really resonated with me, which is like, whether you're just starting out or you've been here for a while and in the life cycle of brands, you know, if you are bootstrapping and you are starting up and you don't have, if you're not like 
a professional content creator, you probably should, there are probably more important things for you to be doing than creating 30 unique posts every single month. So by taking this tack of saying, we're going to reduce the volume, improve the quality and put a little bit, just a tiny micro budget behind it to get it out there, to receive data about it. You also have a longer shelf life on your content and you can be just so much more strategic and drive better results with it. Love, love that idea. I love that concept. Uh, I guess my my immediate question is, um, what data then am I looking for? Right. So I've done my post. I've put my twenty bucks behind it. I've I've sent that yeah. out. You know, using whatever. Um, what what sort of data am I looking for to to? Do you know what I mean? That, that gives me the feedback that I need. So I love this question because. Uh, (laughs) this is where, this is where people get confused. Um, because like, for example, I hear, I hear this all the time, Katie, my, every time I talk about my product, it doesn't get any engagement. So I stopped like my sales posts don't get any engagement. So I'm not doing it. It's like, well, but why are you judging the success of a post that's meant to drive sales by engagement? Right. Mm -hmm. That's not, that doesn't make any sense. So we're not going to draw the right conclusion. So for us, the way we construct, um, content strategies, we have three pillars. And one pillar is for brand growth. And one pillar is for sales. And one pillar is for loyalty. And so we measure success and we look, you know, we establish what we're looking for based on the message first. So if it's, if we, if we're evaluating a pillar one post, we're evaluating things like reach, how far did it get? Were people tagging and sharing it, right? We're looking for engagements like likes, comments, and shares, because that's, you know, Mm -hmm. that's what we want for brand growth. If we're looking at, um, you know, a pillar two post, which is meant to drive sales, or at least consideration, we're looking for link clicks, we're looking for sales, or an engagement that means more on this level would be saves, because maybe they're not ready to buy right now, but we know they're in a consideration phase. And then pillar three kind of depends on the message. That's where we're looking for community building. So total engagements, total interactions there is really a valuable number. I'm not, you know, whether or not people are commenting or liking, it depends on on the nature of the post. Um, So that's a great question because I think that that's an extremely common pitfall is that people are just looking at engagements no matter what the message is. Um, And if that's what we're doing, we're going to draw the wrong conclusions and then probably take action that isn't actually helping us. So if I'm hearing you right, Katie, what you're saying is uh, you're going to put this post out there. You're going to you're going to pay your 20 bucks. And then depending on what type of post it is, will then determine, you know, what it is that you're looking for, uh, which you which you've run through. And all the all the bits of data that I'm looking for proprietary to that social media platform? Or is there some kind of other analytics service that I need to be looking at? (laughs) There is no, I, I mean, I would love to know what your listeners think, but I have not found the perfect social media reporting tool, especially, <laughs> especially like right size to the price. Um, so, you know, we, we have used tools like later, we have used Sprout Social. Um, you know, we certainly use obviously Google Analytics when we're measuring, tra- we want to see, you know, we always want to see audience growth. Um, website traffic growth and engagement growth. Like that's what we're looking for month over month. So Google Analytics is key there. 
But for especially for our smaller brands that we work with that are trying to be budget savvy, we go native analytics within the platform. Sometimes there's discrepancies, but they're not huge and they're not going to like impact the decisions we're making. Bigger companies certainly have, you know, I feel like Curly or other, you know, more full sweet full solution products probably provide better analytics um, or just like easier easier reporting um, less manual but you know we're we're in the business of helping now smaller brands so that's kind of where we're at that's really interesting so the in this sort of phase when you talked about the strategic the the, the what our what, what sounds to me like it's basically is research this is where we're doing a lot of research and we're gonna we're gonna understand um uh, what did you say we're going to understand who we're talking to what we're saying and how we're going to say it um what sort of cues are you looking for in that then you know you you you're yeah. you're, you're boosting your posts if you're starting out if you're an established brand you've obviously got a lot of data there but what sort of cues are you looking for yeah so you mean cues to to figure out kind of what we're going to go to market yeah. with and what yeah. It's going to look like. So I like to say that your content strategy is conceived at the intersection of your target persona mindset, your unique value proposition and your competitive white space. So, you know, depending on depending on what industry you're in, it could look really different. So the first thing we want to do is understand our target market through the lens of social media. What like are they someone, you know, are they someone who is on social media all the time? Are they are they a content creator in their own right? Are they constantly publishing and they want to be a part of that? Are they a more passive scroller? Are they a mom who like literally scrolls through Instagram for five minutes at the end of the day when everybody's gone to bed just to decompress and never shares anything? Or are they kind of like that? But maybe sometimes they just reshare content that resonates with them. We want to understand what what they're looking for out of this platform so that the way we show up nurtures that and meets them there and immediately resonates with them. Um, and then of course our unique value proposition is really important for us to understand and the benefits of our product and that pillar two sort of sales spot. We want to, we want to make sure that we are communicating about our products in a way that is benefit driven, but also socially savvy mm. um, so that it's native and it fits in and it, and it isn't like, you know, I guess I, you know, interruptive or disruptive in a bad way. And then um, in terms of the competitive white space, this is really where things get interesting. If you take an industry like the beauty industry, where you don't think there's any white space, right? We want to start looking at, okay, target persona. Do we have a unique white space with who we are trying to talk to? Um, and then if not, like, well, what about the message? What are these brands coming to market with? What does their content look like? How can we stand out and carve a space? Are there platforms that others aren't on that we think could be effective with communicating to our market? Are there, you know, is there a cadence? Is there a format such as reels or whatever? So you kind of go down this hierarchy of looking for white space so that you make sure your content strategy is attacking that white space um, and accounting for it. So you're going after the white space. You're not going after the general space. It, I mean, you're. The more I'm listening to you talk, the more I'm thinking you have, and and I appreciate this is advice everybody gives, but actually, this this is what you're doing, isn't it? You're taking a broad audience and you're you're doing this and you're making it smaller and smaller and smaller and you're attacking sort of, attacking is the wrong word, but do you know what I mean? You're looking for these white spaces. You're looking for these real niche areas. It, it sounds to me that that's very deliberate and intentional. 
Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, there's nothing that will get you to think about how to carve out your own space that like working in social media will there's, it feels like every nook and cranny of the internet is stuffed. Right. So, um, you know, I think it's important to, to clarify too, when we're, when we're crafting that we're really looking from two angles. One is like, what is, what is going to resonate with the customer, but it's really about, you know, how are we showing up with a unique personality and point of view that is going to fill a space, fill a void that hasn't been taken yet. It's really, you know, the purpose of social media, if I could apply like just one reason a brand should be using it, profitability is nice, sales is nice, customer acquisition is nice. Um, but we have other, other, you know, methods for do, accomplishing all of those things. Social media is number one for personifying your brand and bringing it to life, right? And so you can't do that if you sound corporate or vanilla or like everybody else. Even if you have a really distinct personality, you will attract many different types of personalities. When you think about your friend group or people that you love in your life, right? You have a bunch of different personalities that you're drawn to. Mm -hmm. So what we really want to do is make sure that we are showing up with a distinct personality, a distinct point of view, so that we can occupy a space in our customers' minds and really carve out like an emotional connection with them that feels like a person-to-person -person connection, not a corporate corporation-to-person connection. So this is what you've done here in just a few short sentences is, is gone way beyond how 95% of the people use social media. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's so. what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, um, and this this whole process, this whole strategy, I take it, is just based on what you've discovered over the years and, and figuring all of this out. And so this is where you think social media is at this point in time. And this is, if you want to stand out on social media, on organic social media, as a brand, as a personality, you have to think about these things. Am I, am I hearing that right? Yes, absolutely. It's too crowded to, you know, that's one of the reasons why I don't advise buying things like social media templates for copywriting or your design. Because if you go on social media, you'll notice that a, there's a lot of sameness. And oftentimes the folks that are participating in the sameness do not have great engagement or growth on their social media. So if you want to drive results, it's got to be custom and unique. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> so, so many more questions, Kelly. I hope you sat down. Um, <laughs> I'll take a drink so, of water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the um, so this is we're still in your strategy phase here, aren't we? We're still yeah. there's a lot of thinking and a lot of planning here. So if I let me ask you a question, right? I come to you. Um, uh, let's say I want to do it with a podcast. You know, I want to be better on organic social media. How long is this research phase realistically going to take? What kind of energy should I be throwing into it? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it kind of depends on who's doing the work. So, you know, for I, it's been an interesting dynamic for us because when I first started, I was like, I want to be a consultant and I'm going to consult brands to do this for themselves because so much of what we do as an agency is you have to onboard us to all of your institutional knowledge of your target persona, right? So if you have an external partner doing it, it's going to take a lot longer. If you, 
as a founder or a marketing executive have been living and breathing a brand and its customers for the last few years, it's not going to take you as long because when you, if you're asking the right questions, you're going to have the answers to them. Um, but you know, in terms of what I have seen with our students and our agency, we recently at our agency, you know, we used to have sort of like a month or a six week, uh, research phase, we have been shrinking that down because people don't want to wait that long. Um, and when we're working with our students, I mean, they can they can do the research phase in a week or so. Yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. I, and so, that I mean, yeah, and, and that just rolls off the tongue a week or so. I'm thinking, goodness me, a week, that's a long time. Uh, because I'm, I'm thinking that's 40 hours, right? And it's... Um, I mean, yeah. And I was thinking a week, like, but you have a bunch of other stuff you're probably doing. So mm. not a full 40 hours, I don't think. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of any research or, you know, project that in, involves um, communication, I think, is mm. so important to have, like, your research phase and then your editing phase and your analysis. So it's more important, I think, to have maybe you spend three hours on it on day one, doing a bunch of just like digging through and understanding the competitive landscape. The next day you're spending a couple hours just getting into the mindset of your customer, doing some sleuthing, some light stalking, that kind of thing. Um, some and light then stalking. That's some light stalk, social media stalking. And then, you know, days three, four, five, you're really trying to synthesize that information mm -hmm look for holes and that kind of stuff. So maybe you're just doing some lighter sessions there. So maybe not a full 40 hours. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, um, Katie, you know, if I, from my own experience, when people talk about an e-commerce business, right, and, and it mirrors almost perfectly what you've been talking about. Someone comes to you and says, I want to set up an e-commerce business. And, and the way 90% of people do it is they'll go to somewhere like AliExpress or some yeah. site like that, and they'll get a product which is cheap, and they'll think, oh, I can sell that for 10 times the amount I'm going to pay for it. I can drop ship it from China, and away we go. They copy the photos, they copy the product description, and their website looks like every other website that's out there, and lo and behold, they don't make any money. And I'm a, yeah. big, pro I'm a big fan, a big proponent of right at the start, before you've yeah. done anything to do with a website, you spend a chunk of time in research. Right. Yeah. And there's 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 thinking that goes behind all of that. So it's exactly the same here with social media. I guess what I've found is and it, I appreciate this sounds like a really obvious statement as I think about it. The more time I put into that research, the more effective it is in the, the long run. You know, there's this yeah. sort of real trade off, isn't there? The sharpening of the saw, as Stephen Covey calls it. It's like yeah. the more you can do that there the better the result is going to be. But there's always that pain point, isn't there? It's like, I don't want to do research. I just want to crack on and get yeah. doing something. Yeah. It's not exciting. It's not sexy. It's the opposite of diminishing returns. It's increasing returns. The more you're willing to like get your hands dirty. And, you know, we I've worked with several hundred independent brand owners on this and they all, it's like, when we're in this phase, they're just like, I don't feel like things are coming. I feel more confused. And I'm like, that's good. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to be in the mud with it and sit with it because that's how you kind of, that, I mean, that's how you know you're doing the work. But yeah, I mean, there's just no way around the fact that the internet is is so crowded and becoming more and more crowded and not just every day, every second. And so yeah. you're not willing to do that. Um, you know, you might be barking up the wrong tree. I don't know. Yeah, no, totally. I agree with you. I think it's fascinating because um, 
again, just listening to you talk, the it, uh, my response is if if the guys go, we're more confused. You're like, yeah. well, ha- think how your customer feels. If you right. can't articulate, yeah. you know, yeah. and so many people I meet, and I, I'm I'm going to put myself in this category. Whenever I whenever I talk about my business, whenever I talk about my online stuff or whatever it is that I'm doing, and you say to me, who, do you know who your persona is? I'll go, yes, of course I do. But then if I follow that question up with, well, explain it to me. Mm-hmm. Actually, it becomes much more complicated because I feel like I know it because I, I just feel like I do, but I can't necessarily define it. And I think part of what you're talking about in this research process is, is coming up with some very clear definitions, being able to tell somebody else so they get it in the same way that you do. Right. Do you find that this research phase, this phase one, is is a one-time process or are you constantly going around these sort of three phases? Yeah, you know, I think that it's really important at a certain point to then just focus on action. And then you are in a phase where hopefully you've gotten close enough that it's more on the execution side, how you're bridging the gap between what that research told you and the point of view that you've developed from that research, then there is that that point and then there's execution and there's a lot of nuance in there. Um, and so hopefully it's that you're reading metrics and, and more focused on the execution piece. Um, but we certainly, I think that, you know, then the, the rest of like, do you loop back to this research phase, I think is more of a matter of what's happening in your market and your competitive set and you know, innovation within your space that is going to demand how frequently you need to revisit that. Um, but, you know, I, you know, most content strategies that we develop can be pretty solid as is for at least a couple of years with like minor updates to kind of yeah. specifics of delivery, you know? Yeah. Okay. So you've gone from the strategic um, and we then moved to the tactical. And I, I want to come back to these also, I want to come back to these three pillars you talked about, brand growth, sales, and customer loyalty, right? Um, yeah. So before we move on to this phase two, can we just touch back on those? Uh, why those yeah. three? Where did those three come from? So in my field, like I just, I see people, uh, they're like, you need 12 content pillars, something for every month. We have different themes and all of this stuff. At least most people I see have five pillars. And for me, it's just like, it doesn't matter if we're talking about social media or any sort, any time we communicate with customers, any marketing that we do of any kind, it's, it, there's, we have three jobs. We have to grow our brand. We have to increase demand and generate demand. We need to close that demand. And then we want to nurture people's average lifetime value to us, right? Like that's, and I think that it just doesn't, it's in nobody's best interest to complicate it beyond that. And so um, you know, and it's, it's, but, but we love to, <laughs> so no matter, no matter yeah. what I do, I'm trying to align. And, and then I remember I was reading a industry report probably a couple of years ago, and it was like 85% of respondents say, you know, the, the biggest issue they have when it comes to social media is feeling like they understand how it contributes to business goals. So for me, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to make sure that when we are doing content strategies and we're talking about social media, that everything we do is always aligned to a business goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way we think about, well, the way I think about this too, is bridging the gap between the business goal side of it and the social side of it is to ask people to say, cause it, you know, most brands, when, when Instagram was first kind of coming up, 
it was more like TikTok. People understood that it's like you build audience by just showing up and being social. Don't sell, sell, sell to me. Now that has completely flipped and you see a lot of brands are just like only selling on social. Their brand account isn't growing because of it. Um, and I think what I like to ask people to think about is, you know, if you've ever had a person that you needed an introduction to, you wanted to meet, right? That's like a social situation. And you knew they were going to be, maybe you guys were both going to be at the same event. Mm -hmm. And you knew someone was going to be able to give you an introduction and you're going to start a conversation with them and you need something from them. You don't, you don't go, you don't start the conversation by talking all about yourself or all about what you need from them. Right. But what the marketing industry right now talks about with no like, and trust, like basically is telling people to just talk about yourself until they trust you. Right. But it's like, actually, if you only talk about yourself, I don't trust you or you must be this. So, um, you know, when I think about what I would do if I'm talking to someone that I need something from or I need to impress, I'm going to do my research and I'm going to I'm going to find out what our mutual ground is. What do we have in common? Like, do we both like this? Do we both like snowboarding? Because if we do, I'm definitely starting a conversation there because that is what's going to build trust. Yeah. Right. And if all else fails, like, do we both have kids? That's a, like, we'll start the conversation there. Right. And then slowly, once you can see when you bring something up with someone you've never met that you have in common, their eyes light up, right? If you're at a conference or at a cocktail or a networking event and you bring something up, that's more social. You can see them go from like kind of groggy to like, oh yeah, I love that too. And now we have a conversation and then slowly they become like more alert to you. And you can slowly bring the conversation closer and closer back to you. And that's what those three pillars do. The first pillar is about saying, you know, what is, what is the mutual ground between my prospective customer and I that precedes an interest in my product? A really low hanging fruit way to explain this is if you are, have a food product, like maybe you sell spices online or, or you sell cooking, like cooking ware or something like that. That mutual ground that precedes an interest in your product is recipes. If I can give you recipes and I I can like put that out in front of you, you're going to click on it and I'm going to introduce myself to you in a way that is not asking you to buy anything from me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's building trust. And then slowly though, you see my product being used in that recipe or the next time you think to yourself like, well, maybe I'll follow them because that was really cool. I've never seen a recipe like that before, right? And so it's, it's all about the customer on pillar one, it's all, and, and mutual ground, then it brings to your product on pillar two. And then pillar three is where I want people to put all the no like, and trust stuff. Like it all only belongs in like 20% of your content. And that's the, uh, that's the, the customer loyalty thing. Yeah. Yeah. The customer loyalty thing. Sorry to just, you know, it's the, 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 the I pro, love it. isn't it? So the, um... <laughs> so so that's really, I mean, that's super helpful. Uh, I, I and I get that and I understand that. So you've got your three pillars and you're you're really clear in where you're communicating and how you're communicating. So you said in in this sort of no like trust, this pillar three, that's twenty percent. And I appreciate again, this is going to be different for different industries. Yeah. What sort of percentage am I looking at in in the in pillar one, the sort of the brand growth wow. pillar? Yeah. So it does depend on, you know, what your marketing calendar says, (laughs) but I like to have like a a baseline of 50, 30, 20, and that just mirrors 
you know, a marketing funnel, right? We, we, the percentages game, we need to invest more in demand generation, and then we're going to close a certain percentage of it. So a baseline that I always use is 50, 30, 20, but that is going to change. If you have an audience to sell through and you have a new product to launch, you're going to crank, you know, pillar two way up mm-hmm. from 30 to 70. So the baseline is 50, 30, 20, but then, then it's, it's like on a dial and you can yeah, dial and it, it. It adapts throughout the year. So can you, I don't know if it's, it can be as simple as this, Katie, and if it can't tell me, but can you um, give me an example of a post that is uh, brand growth pillar one, a, a, an example of a post, which is maybe pillar number two, and an example of a post, which is pillar number three? Yeah, I will use myself as an example. So um, we have a marketing agency and an education company. And our pillar one is oftentimes we call we call this type of content you know, and there can be a lot of different types of content in your pillars, but just in the interest of giving one example for each, we have a type of content we call words of encouragement. And there are just these block quotes that like are supposed to just meet someone where they are, which is for us, we're thinking about entrepreneurs um, with, some, you know, and the, the way we want to make them feel is like we are their hype man, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like on a Friday, like, you know, here's all the people who who just like kept charging through the week or whatever. We see you, cheers, all the hustlers out there, that kind of thing. It can be like so incredibly simple and the crowd goes wild on these. Like we have mm-hmm. the most engagement on these. It's really simple. And then, so that is something that we get the most shares on. People mm-hmm. share that to their stories. So our brand grows. Um, and then pillar two is going to be, Hey, we just launched a holiday marketing guide. It's only $37 link in bio to shop now. Mm -hmm. And then pillar three is going to be, um, anything from, you know, we are working on launching a scholarship next year to behind the scenes of my team and how we work together. Or if I'm a values driven, you know, driven brand leader, I'm going to talk about what, you know, what values are important to me in business and that kind of thing. Awesome. Awesome. So we're talking, in case you've just joined us, we're talking about how to create uh, a, a sort of a, a social a social media content strategy. Um, and we're, we're getting into the nitty gritty of it. And I, I appreciate we've only just covered phase phase one. Really. I mean, to be fair, we're <laughs> yeah. in phase two a little bit, you know, the tactical side of things, um, which you said was the right message, the right place at the right time. So what are some of the your top content marketing tips or tactics that maybe we should be thinking about right now, generically, you know, industry specifics aside? You know, I think that um, people are always like, what platforms do we need to be on? We need to be on TikTok, latest and greatest. And it's like, you do, but, you know, for better, for worse, for 90% of brands, Facebook and Instagram are table stakes. Like, mm-hmm. Some people are going to go check out your, they're going to hear your brand name and they're going to go to see what your Instagram looks like before they go to your website in some cases. So really making sure that you have a solid program in place there and resources to support, you know, the ongoing life of that is really important to get into place before you start doing more experimental stuff. Um, I think that the other thing that I would say is that it's really important to right size the the size of your program, your content and social media program to the life stage of your business and your resources. Um, So really wanting to encourage folks who are just starting out to not be 
spinning their wheels on 30 posts a month, you know, before they have proven product market fit and a strong, you know, lever or mechanism for customer acquisition. Um, So I think those are probably my two tried and true pieces of advice. Very good. Very good. So, so when it comes to things like TikTok, I suppose two of the big questions I'm asked a lot at the moment, um, uh, Katie, TikTok and Reels, right? The, the two big things that everyone's talking about at the moment. Um, and the thing that I, I don't even know if it's still a thing, the thing which everyone talked about very briefly, it felt like was um, YouTube shorts. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That sort of, I don't know if that's gone now, actually. I've, I've not seen it as much. Um What's your opinion on these things? And should I really be thinking about it? I mean, you've just mentioned, obviously, I need to get Facebook and Instagram sorted before I even do. But let's assume I've got good engagement there. Yeah, I think it depends on your brand personality, your customer, and your resources, right? Because it really doesn't do you any good to be on TikTok, for example, if you know, your customer isn't there for one, or if you don't have like savvy content, create, create, um, create our resources, right. Because then it's going to fall flat. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's my opinion. And I think TikTok is an incredible community. If your customer is on it, it is the early days of Instagram right now. You can truly grow, you know, I think right now with, with Instagram, you're seeing like I get on because of my field and I, I, I cannot navigate more than five seconds without just being smacked in the face. And it feels like <laughs> all of my reels are, are experts telling me how to go viral with reels. And it's yeah, like this, yeah. I just feel like I'm like in a like whirlwind of prop, like Instagram propaganda, <laughs> just like, ah. <laughs> um, and I feel like it's the, the percentage of people who can go like viral or grow fast, truly organically only on Instagram, that percentage is definitely smaller than TikTok. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just, there's more space on TikTok. It, the algorithm is still, you know, what with Facebook and Instagram right now, I think the latest stat I read was like your average page reach organically is like 5% of your audience. It's really, really small. Um, So I think that, you know, TikTok is an incredible place to like to play around if you have the resources and you have the bandwidth and it's not a shiny object that is detracting. Like, again, I just feel like it's so important for people to think about solving problems in the right order. When you're building a brand and you're building a business, the first problem you need to solve is steady, consistent, sustainable sales. And I'm not sure that any of the, you know, that any of these social media platforms are kind of, there, there are probably these exceptions with really niche sort of brands, um, or I shouldn't say probably there are, but for 95% of brands, experimenting with organic content is probably not the number one way we're going to solve that problem, right? Mm-hmm. These are things that we wrap around our our sustainable sales mechanisms to start to take up more space and separate ourselves from the pack. Um, so, so if we are at that place, I think TikTok is an amazing place to play around. I do think reels are fun. I just think that in some ways they've already become like the Instagram version of that type of format where it is already like, it's just more salesy. And, and that's what the, 
the difference between the two communities is like, even though the format of a reel looks similar to the format of a TikTok piece of content, reels, I'm still on Instagram. So I'm still getting advertised to every other post that I see. Um, and so just the whole experience on TikTok is so much more organic. And I think that, you know, it's customers aren't feeling like customers on that platform. They're feeling yeah. more like customers of content. They're there to connect, to think, to see, discover. Um, and so it's a really prime time to slip in there and build trust if if you're at that stage and it's it's the right time for you. If that yeah, and, and like you say, if you can actually create the content. You can actually do it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's That for me is a critical thing. Can you actually do that? Can you smack your head against a desk and put a hoodie on at the same time to a beat of a music? I don't know if you can or can't, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, that's let's what about Pinterest have you have you got much experience with Pinterest marketing because this is probably the most for me uh, the most under talked about platform socially that I that I come across you know everyone's talking Pinterest yeah. um, not Pinterest Instagram Facebook everyone's now talking about uh, TikTok what yeah. about Pinterest yeah, I think Pinterest, you know, the user base is significantly smaller than Instagram and Facebook. I don't have the numbers right off of my head, off the top of my head. Um, but it is certainly, I mean, I have seen many case studies of incredible success using Pinterest. Mm. It operates more like a search engine. So, you know, your your content has a really long shelf life there. You know, you hear these stories and see these accounts of folks who have a pin from like five years ago that is still responsible for 90% of your website traffic or something like mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing, but it just depends on what you're selling. So really thinking about your customer, like if we are in that target persona development phase of our content strategy, and we're like, yes, this person is a homemaker, they love decorating or baking. And we know that they spend a lot of time on Pinterest, pinning for inspiration to try to inform, you know, their domestic endeavors, for example, like we're going to hit Pinterest for sure. Mm. Um, so it just depends on, you know, your user base and and yeah. where we think we're spending time. That's really interesting. So the, so the stable, like you say, the steak at the dining table is, is Facebook and it's Instagram and, and do those and do those well. But you talked about having the resources um to do those i mean what if i'm a small business owner the the question that's going to pump straight into my head is well, what kind of resource are we talking about yeah yeah that's great so i think let me think about this for a second so i think you know we think about resources in three kind of categories i think right so we have time money and talent um and so if we're just starting out we probably have our own time, our own talent, and very little money. And so <laughs> if, and so if, if we're bootstrapping, right? So yeah, yeah. in that instance, we're looking to um, establish our brand, establish our digital ecosystem so that if people hear about us and they go to check us out, they have what they need while we set up our, you know, our acquisition mechanics. So in that instance, maybe it's a post per week or a couple of posts per week, and we want to reduce it to the type of content that we can create well in a couple of hours a week, right? So that's like one example. I think where I see a couple of inflection points is around the half a million revenue mark. That's where it's like, 
oh, we need that this is starting to build out. We want to put some velocity behind our cadence and we want to really be making sure that this is the right content we're publishing yeah. around that like million to five million revenue mark is where we're like, okay, we should be hiring a content creator that's super savvy. We want a community manager, right? We want to make sure that our program is supported with, you know, aspects of social advertising and that kind of thing. Yeah. So those are super loose guidelines, but I see that like half million, million, five million as these inflection points where you're cranking up your social media program. Okay. And the other question that has come in uh, uh, is um, if we're if we're starting out, yeah. What sort of numbers should I be aiming to get like within the first six? You know, everyone talks about followers, don't they? And and, and yeah. let's assume that actually matters. Um, yeah. You know, what sort of numbers should I be looking for in what sort of time frame? So this is a really I, I'm going to I'm going to give you some thoughts, but I'm also going to start it with the unpopular phrase of like there's no <laughs> there's no real benchmark for audience growth which is an unpopular opinion, but it's not really. But truthful. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Despite um, what the ads tell you. Yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> um. For those of you listening to the uh, audio version of the podcast, there was a tremendous roll of the eyes there by Katie. You could see nothing but white. <laughs> um, yeah. So again, what you should be expecting for growth depends on what you are investing. Mm -hmm. So if you are, if you are, and what I want to encourage people here to do, if they're like, I want to hit this hard and I want to see growth, you need to pick one strategy and stick with it and see it through for at least a 90 day period. So you see people saying, Oh, I've been hitting reels so hard for, I did a 30 day challenge and it didn't work. It's like, if you're investing in reels, because if you're saying my strategy, my growth strategy is an organic one. The tactics of how I'm going to get the right the right message in the right place at the right time, that, that step two is organic. Then I'm going to say, okay, you need to try to tap into reels and find that niche and produce for that mm. and keep going with it. Don't like zigzag and wonder why nothing's working for you. Um, and then if you are in saying, you know what, I'm going to post a few times a week, I'm going to put you know, dollars behind it, you can kind of expect your growth rate to accelerate or decelerate based on how frequently you're posting and what the budget is you're putting behind it. One of the tactics that we haven't discussed yet that I definitely just want to take a second to talk about if we're, if there are small brands on this call is partnerships. So, um, being able to grow your audience and your community size without paying money to business manager, which is really appealing to a lot of small businesses. So finding other organizations or folks who share your target audience and you guys can cross promote mm. is a really awesome way. So in that instance, um, you know, you would be looking for success and what your expectations are around growth would have to do with how big your partner's community is and how engaged they have been. So if you're mm. working with, if you're able to you know, as a small brand, you don't need to go to someone who has 100,000 followers. If you have 1,000 followers and you can partner with someone else who has 1,000 to 2,500 followers, that's that should be percentage-wise a pretty decent boost if you have yeah. a successful cross-promotion in your audience growth. So I think it's just about understanding the tactic that you're using, how hard you're hitting it, the velocity, the budget, 
what have you, and then setting your expectations from there. If you boost one post and you're don't expect tons of followers, if you, you know what I mean? So that's a, I wish I had a more detailed answer for you. I wish that there were benchmarks for audience growth. Um, if you go to your Reels Explore page, I'm sure you will find tons of case studies that have blown <laughs> up their accounts to 50,000 followers in 30 days. Or well, 30 um, seconds, probably. Yeah, yeah 30 seconds yeah. to 50,000 followers, you know. Uh, yeah. And then you'll be watching them for the rest of your life as they appear. Right. And then you'll Facebook never create content because you won't be able to hear it. <laughs> That's pretty. Uh, when you talk about partnerships, um, yeah. and I'll, I will probably close with this question because I'm, I'm aware of time and I feel like I'm just literally scratching the surface here. Um, but when we talk, when you talk about partnerships for startup brands and for new brands, I guess my questions are is that it actually easy to do? Um, mm. And what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good and fair question. Is it easy to do? It's it's not easy. Um, it depends on your network. I think the mm. hardest thing that I see, all of the small businesses that I uh, consult really love the idea of partnerships. And most of them have had one, at least one really successful partnership. I think the, the most difficult phase is finding the partner mm -hmm. um, because that takes time. So- um, the way that it works, though, and and there's there is a lot of kind of like administrative or logistical coordination to do, um, but it's really great because it's super organic. It's good for your your audience loves it, and so the idea behind um, a partnership is wanting to first and foremost make sure that there is total alignment between your two audiences. Mm -hmm. So what you're looking for is an or a brand or a person, but let's say we want to partner with a brand for now. Excuse me. Um, we want to look for someone who has, who has our target market's attention, but has an in non-competitive product, right? Mm -hmm. So perfect scenario would be like a complimentary product. So yeah. it's, um, I don't know, maybe it is like snowboarding and like a backcountry backpack or something like that. I don't know. Um, and or maybe it is we've done, for example, like if you have a certain food category product and something that would be often paired with that, you know, so you're looking for something that makes sense together and you share the target market. It's it's. Yeah. It's adjacent, but not competitive. And then, I mean, the most lowest, the low, most low hanging fruit that we see all of the time is the type of like contest, like, hey, enter to win. And you just decide beforehand, are we looking for social media growth? Are we looking for email acquisition? Email acquisition is a tougher ask. If you want to drive really strong email acquisition off of a partnership, you need a pretty great prize because you're okay. asking people to do more than just follow and like. So I will, I will set the objective, like the objective of the campaign follower growth versus emails, for example, needs to be aligned with the size of the incentive in order to make sure that you're going to drive that participation that you want. And then the number one thing that everybody forgets, like 99% of times you see people, they partner, they have this great campaign, the crowd goes wild, super engaging, and then they don't talk about each other again. Or they don't, you know, they don't welcome the new. So we have to remember if we do something for Instagram acquisition, follower acquisition, or email acquisition, 
Like the day after the contest closes, don't just thank people for participating. Give your newcomers a 10% off code. Like yeah. get them down the funnel like you just attracted. So that's the, the thing that I see everybody stop short on. It's like, oop, we got we got through it. Or we got, you know, 100 or 1,000 new followers. We pat ourselves on the back. But if you don't then work to engage them, and bring them into the community all the way to like the level of customer, you're going to see attrition after that campaign. So yeah. you really want to make sure that you nurture it all the way through. Well, again, top advice. And I feel like that's a good place to end the conversation. Uh, I, I'm exhausted uh, with all the different to. ideas uh, now sure. buzzing through my head. Um, Katie, now, for those of you listening to the show that wonder how we do all this behind the scenes, there is what we call the pre-call session, where a few months ago, you and I had a conversation about what we were going to talk about today on the show, so I know uh, ahead of time, and I don't look like a complete moron, which is, you know, a very real possibility. Um, Did I remember it right that you have a course, which you, you know, if people listening to the podcast are thinking, man, this sounds amazing. Do you have a course that people can connect with to find out more about this? Or did I imagine that? No, we definitely do. And we we have intentionally made the, the place where we recommend that folks start extremely accessible. So if you go to strongbrandsocial.com, it'll take you through our Strong Brand Social Express product. So that's like 90 minutes of course material, super action. It kind of gives you the lay of the land of the field, super actionable, great workbook all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, recommend and $37. And will that help me, uh, you know, right back at the beginning of the show, we talked about this sort of research phase. Is that, will that help me with that? So that will help you with that. It'll help you kind of develop kind of different aspects of your strategy. We have another program called content strategy accelerator, which is where we take you through the exact process that we use inside of our agency when we're working with clients. Okay. Uh, and that's also at strongbrandsocial.com. Yeah, yes. That's the, well, you know, we only have these individual sales pages right now because we're building it as we fly. <laughs> but if you go to strongbrandsocial.com or if you have any questions for our team and like the best product fit for you, hello at kwcontent.com. We have an amazing team and we will get you all of the information that you need. Well, you've kind of answered my my next question, which is how do people connect with you? How do they how do they yeah. how do they reach out to you and, and connect with you? Is is that the best way that you've just said? Yeah, we have a Facebook group that's called Strong Brand Social and that's free and we have a lot of support in there. It's an incredibly supportive and active community. Um my Instagram is kwcontent and our email is hello at kwcontent.com. Awesome. We will, of course, put all of Katie's links in the show notes and transcripts. Uh, so, uh, you know, you can get those on the website as well. If you forget what they are, just head over to the website, ecommercepodcast.net, and they will be there. Katie, listen, I have poss- possibly, uh, not possibly, I have positively, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, positively enjoyed this uh, conversation. I really appreciate you sharing your insight into all of this so much learning into uh you know an hour's show so uh i i appreciate that um <laughs> genuinely really really appreciate it so uh we're going to close out the show now um we will uh, just to let everybody know we have show notes and transcripts available like i said ecommercepodcast.net forward slash 72 as this is episode number 72 uh, you can get all of the transcripts and the notes from today's 
podcast there, like I say, with all Katie's links. So, uh, Katie, do you know what's coming up next week? You don't, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Which is great. I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd try and ask. That's and, the hardest question you've asked me all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought, what's a question she won't know the answer to? <laughs> Uh, no, we uh, make sure you stay subscribed to obviously everything that's going on because we do have amazing guests like Katie and, uh, you know, come and connect with what's going on. Uh, it'd be great to see you here again next week. Thank you so much, Katie, for being with us. Really do appreciate it. Have a fantastic week. Um, and uh, I'm going to play the outro. Don't you go anywhere because I want to have more of a conversation with you. Cool. Uh, Thank you so much to everyone that, that listened. This was super fun. Yeah, no, great. And make, like I say, make sure you connect Uh, with Katie but uh, from Katie and myself have a great week and we'll see you again next week bye for now you've been listening to the e-commerce podcast with Matt Edmondson join us next time for more interviews tips and tools for building your business online